right. I'm joined today by Donna Stewart from Lost Irish. Donna, thank you for jumping on here with me today. I am buzzing to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, how did you get into whiskey uh, in general before uh, this new endeavor? Oh, I mean, it's a long path. So I'm going to try and make it a short story. But ultimately, um, I'm from Dublin. Uh, I was actually born in Boston. So my parents lived in Boston for about eight or nine years with like their whole family moved there in the 80s. And they brought me back when I was two. So I was raised in Dublin and went to school there, went to university there. But I always had these stories of America. And I had been visiting America when I was younger in summer vacations. You know, my friends in Ireland would go to Spain or Portugal, but I would go to America, um, which is, you know, something that like people couldn't comprehend because America is, you know, so far away. And I would go to Boston, I would go to Connecticut, I would go to Florida, all the East Coast. And I had uncles and aunts and my mom's cousins and stuff that stayed there. So um, anyways, I finished university and I go, well, I've got a blue passport. I'm an American citizen. Like I want to go to America. Mm -hmm. So I came over here, originally started in New Jersey, worked and lived with my uncle, went up to Boston for a stint. And then I just wanted to see the West Coast. I'd never been West in the States. So I came over to California for a three-week holiday. The plan was... I'm going to go down to San Diego. I'm going to maybe like take a drive up to San Francisco. I'm just going to see California. And uh, within five days, I walked into a British bar in Santa Monica called the King's Head. And I was offered a job on the spot. And I said, you know what? I was here for vacation, but um, I think I'm going to stay. So I've actually been in California now for 11 years. And that job is where I got my first true introduction to Irish whiskey. So I was a waitress working there and the bartenders one night we were off work and they said, come on, let's do a shot. And they poured me a shot of Jameson. And I said, oh, no, 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 I, I don't drink whiskey. <laughs> you know, remember, I'm only 21. I was probably at the time drinking a lot of fruity drinks in Ireland. Um, and I go, no, I don't drink whiskey. And they go, you're Irish. You drink whiskey. So they handed me the shot. And of course, I had to do it. I couldn't mm-hmm. say no. And I did it. And uh, that started a long love with Irish whiskey. So went on from that restaurant to become a bartender in two other Irish bars in the city. And one of my favorite things to do when I had the time is if a customer came in and they sat down and they ordered, you know, a Jack Daniels or a Jameson or even a beer, I'd go, we just got a new Irish whiskey in. Do you want to try it? And often they would say yes, because I think that I had a, they had a lot of faith in me because I had an Irish accent. <laughs> I didn't necessarily have the wisdom of Irish whiskey, but uh, I could have a chat with them and say, come on, we'll taste it together. And because it was an Irish bar, we were seeing a lot of cool different brands come in all the time. So um, ended up falling in love with a lot of different Irish whiskeys and falling in love with Irish whiskey and starting to read up on the story, starting to learn about you know where each one came from what was different about them um, and why they tasted so different and you know what we what did we love about it we would talk me and my customers and then uh eventually one of my coworkers, James he's from Kilkenny he said to me there's a job going at Tullamore Dew it is the best job in the world you have to go for it so um I called up the contact that I knew who worked for William Grant she had previously uh, been the Tullamore Dew ambassador and I asked her what's this job you know ambassador like I've never heard of it and here's my experience you know I had worked in corporate events for many years I had a marketing degree but I had spent all this time working in bars on the side and like loving that part of my life and she was like yeah that's that's kind of what we're looking for so um I applied and after a long set of interviews, I ended up getting the role of the Tullamore Dew West ambassador. So I covered the West of the States. And at that point I had a early, like 101 whiskey knowledge, but I knew what it took to, to sell whiskey, which was really like stories and just like kind of having fun and, you know, learning a little bit here and there. Um, and then with that role was when I really got my deep dive and got to learn like the intricate, like 
details of distillation and maturation and how that affects the whiskey. And um, absolutely adored the role, represented an iconic brand, the second biggest Irish whiskey in the world. Doesn't get much better than that. Um, and I was uh, lucky enough at the time to be kind of mentored by my coworker, Tim Hurley. He was the national ambassador for Tullamore Dew. So I was West. We had a coworker, Gillian Murphy, who's East. And then we had Tim Hurley, who's national. So Tim taught me a lot about the role, taught me almost all the things I know about whiskey. And um, Tim decided to leave Tullamore Dew after 10 years and start his own brand. And when he left, I was devastated. Couldn't believe it. I didn't know what he was going to go do. It was all top secret. And uh, finally, he came to me about a year later and said, I have an opportunity. I have a new whiskey. It's coming. And I want you to come work for us. And uh, that's kind of how I landed where I am right now. How hard was it for you to decide to leave Tullamore Dew? Because it's a, like, it's a, like you said, it's a, the second biggest Irish whiskey company out there. And, and so you're leaving a well-established, well-known brand for something brand new. Honestly, it was so difficult. Like probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. Because on one hand, I had full faith in Tim and I knew that it was going to be something exceptional. Um, he taught me all that I knew. So I was like, there's no doubt, like this is going to be amazing. And I already knew we worked exceptionally together. But on the other hand, like I adore Tullamore Dew. Like, I love my job. I love my coworkers. I had just, you know, after three years, you've kind of got the job down. You start to, you know, be able to make decisions yourself and understand like, you know, how to affect change and do really cool events and where the brand is going. And I kind of didn't really see myself working for any other brand. I just adored it. Like I was told more do as part of me. Um, but, you know, I think when an opportunity to be part of a brand new Irish whiskey comes your way, you kind of look around and go, this will never happen to me again. Mm -hmm. So sure. I have to do it. And to be honest, it was a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights and took me a really long time to make the decision. Um, but it was ultimately tasting the liquid and hearing about the brand that was what sold me. I just couldn't have been more excited and I couldn't think of anything that described me better than this whiskey and that fit my lifestyle better. So I, um, I had to do it. I think, uh, it was scary, I but I did it. What's how, how important was like your bar background in getting in with Tillamore do like, is that something that was that you found helpful, whether it's, it's just being in the industry or like having conversations with customers, like, is that something that you felt was beneficial for you moving into an ambassador type of a role? A hundred percent. I actually, if I'm going to be honest, like my bartending gig was something that I did because it helped me make friends in LA. It was so much fun. I enjoyed it every day and it was great money. So I always did it on the side of whatever else I was doing, which was often like a marketing kind of production role. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I just didn't think that it was going to lead me in my career. And when I ended up getting the job, I realized how much of an asset it was to have been a bartender in one way to like have the knowledge of like working behind the bar and, you know, how cocktails should be made and how customers need to be served. But in another hand, like how to talk to people like being a bartender is you have to talk to every type of person sure. for, you know, hours sometimes of the day understand the different nuances of those people and what they might want to talk about and it just taught me about hospitality you know being an Irish an Irish pub is about making people feel at home and so we always tried to, we knew in my pub that I worked in like the final job was called the Irish Times we know everybody's name we know everybody's drink I know their story I could they come in and I go how was the party last weekend like did it go good or you know when's the baby coming or whatever is going on in their life, like I follow. So it was a community. And um, I think that taught me a lot about then becoming an ambassador because it's about relationships sure. and uh, it's about building partnerships, talking to people, 
cold talking to people, walking into a bar and just being able to strike up a conversation. Um, but also having that knowledge of like, you know, what makes good drinks? How does a bartender work under pressure? When to talk to bartenders? When to know to leave them alone? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really big asset, I think, in my in becoming an ambassador, if not the most important role that helped me in this role. Now, am I allowed to take a sip of this right now, or do I have to wait till we get there? You I'll can wait. take a sip of it if you want. It's it's up to you. I I mean, or we can go straight there if you want. No, 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 we can't. We gotta, we gotta get to the, uh, we gotta <laughs> go through the steps. I feel wrong about that. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, okay. So, obviously, Tolmordu being a being a massive brand, um, you know, you take the take the leap and leave, and and go to Lost Irish. How was that transition? What what was that like? Because I know for we first connected, it, it was probably last summer. Um, what is that transition like? You've got a new brand. I mean, it's starting from the ground up. How does that process get started in terms of like starting to get the name out before there's even a product out? Mm-hmm. Um, what is that experience like for you? So honestly, I, this was another reason that made me jump to this brand is like, I knew I was going to learn a ton. I really didn't know what I was walking into, but I knew I was going to learn so much about what it takes to launch a new brand. And we really had to sit like there was lots of times where me and Tim and Jack sat down and go, Jack's our coworker in Texas. And we were like, how are we going to start this? You know, what do we want our first introduction of loss to be? Um, so what we decided to do was to kind of introduce it on social media because the first people that we wanted to know about Lost Irish was the trade, the bartenders, bar owners, everybody who's in the Irish whiskey kind of industry and the liquor industry. And um, so we were like, let's just start to drip it out with the expectation that the whiskey was coming like early last year. Like we were hoping for April, we were kind of accepting it was going to be June, but um, it actually ended up not getting here till December. So we hit every supply chain issue that you can think of. Um, obviously we're in a pandemic, so that didn't help. But, um, you know, glass was a huge factor. Mm-hmm. That's a custom bottle and the glass was so difficult for us to get enough of and get it on time and everything was delayed. And then shipments were delayed, the corks were delayed, like everything every element of starting this product was delayed. And um, in the meantime, we had to keep people excited about it. So it was a challenge. Um, and we, we, you know, we just worked as a team. We kept talking about it. We kept going. I, I cover California. So I tried my best to keep visiting different bars in California, keep showing them that I'm here, even though I have no brand to show them yet. I don't even have a bottle to show them or liquid to taste mm-hmm. them on, but to keep them excited and say, it's coming, it's coming. I swear, like when it gets here, you're going to be the first to try it. Um, but it was, it was difficult, but it was interesting. And to be honest, everybody was excited. So it, it was an exciting time, but nothing more exciting than when it finally arrived, to be honest. Uh, that's got to be incredible, especially after getting everything kind of pushed off and then it's, it's finally there. Um, so tell me, so talk about the brand because it's very unique um talk about the because I'm, I'm reading through the the side of this label but yeah i want you to kind of talk about just the whole idea behind lost irish this is yeah. a really this is a cool looking bottle by the way thank you yeah we're so so proud of the bottle the thing about that is like if you want to make an iconic brand you have to make an iconic bottle so it's very very important that that bottle was perfect which by the way was part of the delays you know little tiny tiny nuances on the bottle uh, that we would have to change the the custom mold but um okay so lost irish so the concept behind lost irish is it's born in ireland and it's lost in the world so it is all three styles of irish whiskey that we make in ireland but it is finished in casks from each of the six continents to represent the wandering irish spirit so there are five million people in ireland who are Irish, and there are 70 million people who claim Irish heritage in the world. The Irish culture is one of travel. So like, you know, even an example is me. So like my parents in the 80s, when there wasn't work in Ireland, went to America. And before them, my great grandfather 
went through Ellis Island and fought in the war for America. Um, America has always been a great place for the Irish to come, but they've also made it to lots of different parts of the world for many different reasons, whether it was for poverty to look for a better life or they were sent as prisoners or slaves or, you know, they followed their families over who had set up, um, you know, a, a business that they could come work at or a home that they could come live at and were given them opportunities. So I remember when I was leaving college, you know, they didn't say to me, where are you going to go work? They said, where are you going to go? You know, my friends and my family. And I said, I'm going to America, you know? So, and my fr other friends said, I'm going to Canada. I'm going to Australia. I'm going to go to London. I'm moving to France. And it genuinely is a part of our culture. And a lot of those friends who I grew up with and who left have either stayed, they stayed away for five years, two years, and they took a little bit of that culture, a little bit of what they learned, and they went back to Ireland with it and brought it home. Or they stayed abroad and they brought their Irish culture with them. You know, like I came and worked in Irish bars. I have friends who started the local Irish GAA team in LA. You know, like it's mm -hmm. a, it's about bringing a little bit of home with you or bringing a little bit of something different home. So it genuinely is a part of our culture. So we wanted to make a whiskey that represented the contemporary Irish person. And the contemporary Irish person is well-traveled, lives for experiences, um, is maybe not necessarily from Ireland, um, you know, but has a little bit of Irish culture or a love for Ireland. Um, so that's why we called it Lost Irish, because it's not about being lost in a scattered state of mind. It's about like get lost, stay lost. The world is a more interesting place if we travel, adventure, meet new people. And what better to do it with a whiskey in your hand? <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, what it sounds from like just from that, I mean, it sounds like it's a very authentic and it's, it's very representative of Ireland and Irish culture. Um, it's not just a, like a ploy. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not just a, like a gimmicky type thing. Like it's a very real thing of that's how the culture is. And like, as you talk about the Irish pub, like I've been in Irish pubs, it's a very real thing. Like that's just how, yeah. how people are. And it's, it, that's so cool that it's uh, as authentic as it is for like trying to bottle that, concept uh yeah. literally into a bottle yeah and you know like you just brought up the irish pub and it was like that was a huge factor i think of what inspired tim to create this brand and he started it he created this brand with his friend neil sands and the two of them uh they grew up in ireland in county louth but they both had been extremely well traveled and tim with irish whiskey neil with being an entrepreneur and doing lots of different business ventures and uh, they both kind of had met each other along the way in different countries in the world but the one thing tim was exceptionally passionate about throughout his whole career is the irish pub so he actually wrote a book called From Barley to Blarney on the 50 best pubs in Ireland. And like the process of finding out like what those 50 pubs are was intense. Like he went to almost every pub in Ireland and, you know, they looked at all the factors of what make an Irish pub an Irish pub. And then they chose the 50 best ones kind of delineating based on the county. But Tim would go everywhere in the world. He would go to like, you know, um, the corners of Colombia and find an Irish pub mm. there's like a pub on the top of a mountain in Alaska you know like there's the Irish pub can be found in every town in every city in every country in the world and if that's not an example of how lost the Irish culture you know has gotten you know get bring our culture to the world and by the way I think as regular consumers if we go anywhere in the world and we see an Irish pub we're probably going in for a pint because mm -hmm. we know it's going to be welcoming. There's probably going to be people in there to have a chat to. They're probably going to have some good Irish whiskeys and they're probably going to have a nice pint of Guinness. So, I mean, I've been in an Irish pub on a uh, Gilly tea in Bali, you know, like it's <laughs> mad the places that they exist. So that the Irish pub was a huge inspiration as well for uh, lost Irish come to life. Yeah, it's true. It's a real thing. Like I've, I think everywhere, anybody's been you can see an irish pub yeah um, and, and it's going to be 
you know, their own version of it in some way, but it's always going to go back to, you know, trying to replicate what you would find in Ireland. Um, yep. And some probably get closer than others, but you're right. Like yep. you're going to go in and you know, the, the people that are going to be in there and they're going to be down to chat with you and hang out. And uh, I do, I need to know if the confession box in Dublin is on that list because that's the best pint of Guinness that I've ever had. You know, I don't think that it is actually, I'll make sure to get you a book. I have one over here, but I don't think he's named the confession box in Dublin. Um, but, that was my favorite. But the thing is like the, every pub in Ireland is an Irish pub. So True. it's a it's very a big challenge to get it down to 50. And he says like, there was heated debates. There was arguments where they stormed out. There was <laughs> sleepless nights of coming down to this list. And it by no means is inclusive of how many X. I mean, I open the book and I go, why is this not in there? Yeah. You know, um, so everybody has their arguments, which I think is what makes it fun. But um, I you went to Dublin, you went to Galway, right? Where else yeah, did you go? Did, did Dublin, Galway, stopped in Tullamore. Um we did went down to Kilkenny. Right. Oh, um, Kilkenny. Yeah, it was really cool. I was I was actually really surprised by it. But uh, what was your favorite but, pub overall? Was it the confession box? Yeah, because you know what? We were we we really okay. So the first time we went, we were actually in a really cool little spot having dinner. I just wanted like a dude on a guitar singing, and that's all I wanted. <clears throat> and so we had asked a guy that we were with or somebody that like where we should go and he gave us the name of some like little Irish pub and it was a bunch of uh uh house music and fist bumping and it just wasn't for me we we bounced after about two minutes um that's not what we wanted so we wound up somewhere else and and just you know it was fine um but going to Air Square in Galway I think was like for me that was that was way more uh a little bit more real uh, you, know, you can get lost yeah you can get lost around like temple bar area and it's, it's you know i don't want to go hang out with a bunch of americans if i'm in dublin so right. it was uh getting out to galway was definitely my favorite spot for sure oh uh, i absolutely adore galway it's so charming there's so many pubs on that one street mm. and, yeah. and they're really good but like that's the thing you know i like i'm from dublin i absolutely love dublin but a lot of people think you know if i go to dublin i've gone to ireland you have to get in a car and go around Ireland to say you've truly been to Ireland sure. because you can go to a city in any part of the world. And Dublin city is a very cool and fun city, but I mean, you have to go to all these charming little towns and you have to sit in a dark pub with only like two other people at the bar. And then some fella starts singing and then you go, okay, mm -hmm. I've done Ireland. <laughs> you know it's it is it's very different like even taking the taking the um taking the train across so there's a dropkick murphy song field of athenry yeah we pull up at a train stop and it, you're in athenry and it's like whoa that's kind of cool like i like that um yeah. you know we're sitting in a pub in galway and somebody and they start singing galway girl and Ugh. it's like okay like that's that's really cool you know yeah um they, they had the christmas market there that was an absolute mm -hmm. blast um, and I've never, we, we still, my buddies and I still joke to this day, we've never seen so many people um, be completely uninterested in the music or anything that's going on until they played Fairy Tale of New York at the very end. And then the place erupted. And it was awesome. Um, I've, I've never seen you, it. Like, so Fairy Tale New York is an anthem in Ireland. So when it's Christmas time, it's funny because it's not really like played that much here. And I often show a lot of my American friends, like they're like, I'm like, what's your favorite Christmas song? They give me some answer. And I'm like, Fairytale New York. Like there's no, there's no argument, but we have like kind of a tradition over Christmas time in Ireland, every single bar, pub, club, doesn't matter what kind of like space you're in for those like two, two and a half weeks of Christmas, the last song of the night is always fairy tale in New York. <laughs> and it, but nobody, everybody was sitting around on these, these little like, they look like park benches. And right. people are just hanging out, chatting. And all of a sudden, fairy tale in New York comes on and everybody got up. And it was, uh, it was, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. And you're what singing and stomping your feet. Oh, it was a blast. I absolutely loved it. Oh, I love that. I love like to hear people's experiences <laughs> of going to Ireland and having the best time. Like, I do a lot of like obviously being here for 11 years like a lot of people ask me 
all the time like I want to go to Ireland and I go well then you have to go and they yeah. go where where should I go and I go you text me when you're booking it and I'll tell you where to go so yeah. I've like happily curated a lot of people's trips and as a result of doing that people would tell me like oh I've been to Ireland I've kissed the Blarney Stone or I've been to Ireland I've been to the Cliffs of Moher so I started every single time I go home now I go to something else so mm. I, like obviously I want to go to Dublin and see my family and hang out and all that but I'm always like okay I want to go to Belfast I want to do the Wild Atlantic Way drive I want to do the Ring of Kerry I want to go kiss the Blarney Stone so I've been making it my goal to always go and experience the different parts of Ireland so then I can tell people so go kiss the Blarney Stone then go around the corner and there's a little pub mm-hmm. <laughs> go in there you have to have this shoe <laughs> you know and just trying to curate like this great experience but I mean everybody who goes loves it it's yeah great. it's like I I, lo- I like Dublin a lot I thought it was very pretty um it's such a it's just such a pretty like as you're taking the bus in from the airport um you know and you're, you're driving like along the river like there's there's something really cool about it and especially like the first time you go and you kind of have this idea of like Ireland you know there is like a mystique about it because it's, it is it's popular and you think about Irish pubs pubs like you said they're everywhere um yeah. there's just this idea of what it's going to be like and again going back to like the whiskey everyone's had Jameson um everyone thinks they like Guinness you know once a year um right. and it turns out like it's it we had heard it was very different there and it was it's completely different drinking it in ireland than it is drinking it here um but there is there's just something about it but but you're right like i would love to go see belfast i didn't make it up there with my buddies that that went up that way i love Um, Belfast. i'd love to go see cork and and just all sorts of different areas i think would be a blast you'll go back i will yeah 100 percent all right. All right. So I know look, you are, you're salivating. Seriously. I'm so I, thirsty. I waited like four days with the sealed and didn't open it, which is a, an amazing accomplishment in itself. But <laughs> I do, I want to hear about the whiskey. So the concept is great. And I, again, like you're looking at, I'm looking at the side, it's got six continents and it's got the different casks there, you know, Japanese oak, sherry cask, the bur- bourbon cask. Um, so all these are going into kind of the whiskey, right? So tell me, tell me a little bit more about the whiskey itself. Absolutely. So we have all three styles of Irish whiskey, right? So it's grain whiskey, malt whiskey, and pot still whiskey. So grain whiskey, you know, before anything touches the wood, it usually brings kind of like a friendly um, fruit, or not fruity, but like sweetness, like a honey kind of sweetness. The malt brings a fruity sweetness, kind of like deep berries almost subtly. And then the pot still brings a spice like a peppery spice and a creamy oily mouthfeel so before we do anything we've got those three great styles already bringing a lot of complexity and like even bringing a complex mouthfeel right before it touches any barrels so each of those whiskeys grows up in bourbon for four years and after that we then put the whiskeys separately into the different barrels so the barrels are south african brandy Australian tawny, which is like a port, Japanese Mizanara oak, we have bourbon, which you already mentioned, sherry from Spain, Colombian rum, and Caribbean rum. So seven barrels total are touching this one whiskey. And the goal is not to have any barrel overpower the whiskey. The goal is for each sip to kind of take you on a journey. So I mean, I know it sounds marketing, but it is kind of like a journey around the world. We're going to taste each of the flavors. You know, these barrels have been hand selected to showcase the flavors of their region. So we should be able to taste them at some point in each sip. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the goal. That's like what we want. It results in, I think, an exceptionally friendly whiskey. Irish whiskey is the friendliest whiskey, I always say. It's friendly, it's approachable, it goes down easy, but it is full of character. And Lost Irish especially is just so complex. People people go, whoa, like I need a second to process what's going on. And usually they, as they go back for different sips, they taste more. So if you want, well, we can taste it together. Okay. Yeah. So I think uh, on the nose for me, it really showcases the tawny, the Australian tawny and the South African brandy, mm-hmm. because I think it's so fruity on the nose. 
Yeah, it is. It's just like, yeah, it's bright. Like we get like, you get like a bit of green apple, pineapple, maybe pear, lots of orange, clementines. Yeah, a little bit more citrus than, uh, like I always always get green apple. Like it always Mm. seems to come through, but there's definitely more citrus on this. Yeah. And it's just so light. I mean, even on the nose, you're almost like, is this going to, is this, you know, 80 proof? You know, it's, it's light, yeah. I think, you know, on the nose. Sure. Um, yeah. So you can go ahead and take a sip, your first sip. I know, right? So I find each sip is quite different, the first and the second. But the first for me, the bourbon hits straight away, right on the tip of your tongue, you get, you know, that oakiness, that vanilla. And then I think the rum hits the center of your tongue and there's almost like a numbing sensation that's happening. It's like a spice. There's a, you know, kind of licorice, all sorts comes through a little bit. Um, it's spicy. I feel like tropical fruits, but then the, like, there's this tingle on the back of your throat and we're calling it like a chili prickle heat. It just tickles. It's not a burn. It's a, it's a gentle tickle and it's, it lingers. And um, we say that's from the Japanese Mizunara Oak. It really lingers. That's my one, like, I feel like there's a lot yeah. yeah, I'm going to say a lot, but there are a number of, especially like 80 proof, which again, there's, you know, a lot of Irish whiskeys at 80 proof that you're going to get a nice flavor at, at when you, when you sip it, but it's kind of gone. Like it doesn't really linger that long. This lingers way longer. Like yeah. This really sticks around. The first thing I noticed about this whiskey, cause you know, I got to taste a version of it before like mm. the barrels were finished and I loved it. But then when I had the final, final, I was like, talking five minutes after like you know having a sip and it was still there mm-hmm. and I was like how is this whiskey still lingering like I'm still it's still lingering for me now yeah. um there's there I definitely get rum like yeah. there's a there's a rum like component to that for sure yeah it's like rummy raisin that sits there I think there's like yeah. an incredible mouthfeel that goes yes. on so, yeah it, coats I, don't get, I don't get the citrus as much on when I drink it as I do on the notes. Exactly. I completely agree. And what I want is for you to go back for your second sip now, because I do feel like the second sip is different. For me, the second sip makes me salivate. Like it's juicy. It's like saliva keeps being produced in my mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like really, really juicy. Where the, the first sides. Spicy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. do you get that yeah it's it sits on the side a little bit more the mm-hmm. first one like sat on the back of my tongue mm-hmm. this one's like sitting on the sides a lot more like so definitely- everything everything was taken into account when you know creating this whiskey like it has to be something exceptional which means not just a great taste but like a great nose and a great mouthfeel and a great finish the whole experience we want to be exceptional. Now, like Lost Irish is positioning, we're positioning ourselves, you know, as kind of like the middle, you know, bridging the gap between, let's say, Jameson, Tully Bushmills and Redbreast and Greenspot, right? Mm-hmm. We're approachable price-wise, you know, we're four-year-old whiskey with multiple levels of finishing, which we can talk about in a minute. But like, I think honestly, like it tastes, very unique it tastes very mature um and it could kind of sit on the shelf beside any of them so it's i that's just, obviously i'm biased but i love it are you a are you a bourbon fan yes okay so i feel like in bourbon there are a lot of like when we're, we're gonna call them just standards we'll say that um like standard offerings whether it's from a craft distillery or from mm-hmm a big name, you know, monster conglomerate. And some are exceptionally good, especially for the price. Mm -hmm. And some are significantly worse, like not very good. And then there's a massive jump in like price point for you to get like an increased um, quality of bourbon, again, in my opinion. Um, And again, you can find those in that like $30 range where uh, they're good and you're going to be happy with them. And then there's other ones that are going to be really surprising, I think, in that $30 range. Right. And I think an, an Irish whiskey, I think the quote unquote, like standard from a Jameson 
Tillamordue, at Bushmills. Um, I think they are better than just a standard like offering from Evan Williams or, you know, yeah. one of those personally. Yeah. And, and I, I think, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I couldn't agree more, you know, like having worked for Tullamore the price point of Tullamore Dew original mm -hmm. and the flavor, you know, and how exceptional the liquid is, is just jaw dropping to me. Mm -hmm. Like, and you compare it to other categories. I fully agree. But, but the, when you start like having ones that are aged or finished or different ones, it like, I feel like that step up in the Irish whiskey is, uh, I think, I feel like people who are limiting themselves to Jameson are not because again it is obviously the most popular irish whiskey that's out there it's been around and, and it's you know sold tremendously worldwide it's one of the most popular whiskeys in the world in any category yeah and and, and nobody in the irish category is gonna you know dethrone jameson but yeah. like there is this really great space in irish whiskey for others and there you're seeing other finishes and other um different proofs like you're starting to see more higher proof mm -hmm. irish whiskeys that i hadn't had before that are really good and it's just i feel like there's such a different like there's more steps to take in the irish whiskey um yes. than, than even in bourbon well we have um we have a little bit more lenience right because we can use anything that's any type of wood like for our whiskey and like a lot of other um whiskey categories have really strict rules mm -hmm. our our like maturing and finishing rules are very lenient, which allows us to be exceptionally playful. And then let's remember Irish whiskey has a third style of whiskey that's made nowhere else in the world called pot still whiskey. And, you know, if you're familiar with red breast or green spot or blue spot, red spot, um, they're pot still whiskeys. And that is the signature style of whiskey made in Ireland. And I always think it's a funny story of how pot still was created. It was um, there was taxes put on the from the English to the Irish on their exports. And the biggest export was whiskey. Irish whiskey was the most popular spirit in the world. It was being drank by everybody. So the English thought, you know, well, let's profit off this. They had rule over Ireland and they actually put the tax on the malted grain used mm. in making Irish whiskey. So the Irish put their heads together and they go, how can we avoid this tax? So they decided to throw unmalted barley in with the malted barley and kind of it was really just to kind of cut the taxes, you know, not get taxed on the malted grain and just see, does it still make something palatable? Mm -hmm. And what actually happened was like a beautiful mistake. It ended up being pot still whiskey, which is a signature style of Irish whiskey that's known for its um, pepperiness, its spiciness. Like it can be like a, those spices can really change. It can be like a a Christmassy spice, you know, that goes through your mouth, but it's definitely something that's hot and spicy. And then that has this oily, creamy mouthfeel that just like coats your mouth. And one of my favorite Irish whiskeys is Green Spot and has been mm -hmm. forever. So I, I absolutely adore pot still. So when you think about Irish whiskey as a base, you know, you think about that standard offering, the one that's, you know, not on the highest shelf, it's mm -hmm. already got so much more unique factors than other styles of whiskey. Sure. It's got more opportunities for different styles. So pot still, and then obviously more opportunities for the barrels. Now it still needs to be matured for at least three years, but um, you can really play around with what kind of wood you use. And that's what's making these really, really cool and fun and playful Irish whiskeys that are definitely worth a try, I think. That last sip I had, I, I think I got a little bit more like dark fruit. I don't know if that's from that tawny cask. Yeah. That, that's, um, that, yeah, I, I don't know. The tawny yeah. and the sherry could be bringing through those those uh, dark fruits. Um, it's it's really interesting. Like there's also the raisin coming through mm -hmm. from the rum, which kind of might bring, or maybe like dates and plums come through from the rum as well. Um, I definitely think as you sip, another thing gets revealed. Another thing gets revealed, um, yeah. and that's what's really fun about it. But I mean, it's incredibly sippable. Would you agree? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You could, you could sip on this very easily. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I think that's, I think that's where, you know, this is going to be released on St. Patrick's day. So it's, and if people are going to be drinking Irish whiskey, but 
you know, you want them to branch out a little bit because there are, and again, I'm not trying to like talk about the other brands that are out there, but there are others because people are so locked into like Jameson and it's natural, but we got like, people have to branch out a little bit and realize that there's other really good ones that are out there. Oh, and if you, honestly, if you like Jameson, you, you are going to like everything else that's out there because Irish whiskey, like I said, it's friendly. That's why Jameson has done so exceptional. And like everybody in the Irish whiskey world is really grateful for Jameson because they put Irish whiskey back in the front of the stage like it should be where it belongs um and it got a lot of new whiskey new drinkers into the whiskey category the irish whiskey category um and then i do think i mean i drank i drank jameson first and that was what hooked me and then of course i had access to all these exceptional whiskeys i started trying them and falling in love with them and so we're definitely really uh thankful for jameson introducing people but like you said um if you have the opportunity, if the price point is similar or only a small bit above, go ahead and try something new. Like there is so much happening in Irish whiskey right now, which I mean, me and you more know more than anybody, but it's like, you know, I know you just had Clonacilty on and yeah. there's just so much incredible fun stuff happening. And I love everyone that I try, I genuinely enjoy. So it's, a, it's not a risky category for sure. And it's and the expansion is happening like crazy because everybody that I've talked to has mentioned like it wasn't really that long ago where there was only a handful of distilleries um, or, and just Irish whiskey brands in general. Now there's, I forgot what the number that they said. I, th- I want to say it's 30 something. 40. That, that 40. So it's, yeah. it's you know, it's blowing up and, and there's really good stuff out there. Um, yeah. And that, you know, the reason a lot of people think, um, you know, Scotch has a, has definitely got like a, bit of prestige about it and uh, it became incredibly globally famous but you know Irish whiskey was the most popular spirit in the world and like I mean spirit total you know everybody was drinking Irish whiskey and a few things led to its decline so one thing was prohibition you mm-hmm. know the Americans stopped drinking the Amer- America's biggest market in the world for Irish whiskey so that took a huge hit Ireland also got um, its independence from England. This is like, uh, I'm, I'm not great at dates, but like I think early 1900s is when it all started to mm-hmm. decline. And uh, Ireland got its independence over England, which is a great thing, uh, except it, it resulted in a lot of trade wars because, you know, England was uh, exporting a lot of products. And so they started to prioritize scotch. Um, and the third thing is like a typical Irish thing. Um, there was a man named um, Aeneas Coffey and he created the coffee still or the co- column still. Yeah. And um, he was actually an, a tax man in Ireland and he was taxing whiskey makers. So uh, he wasn't looked upon very fondly. And he came up with this equipment that actually made exceptional whiskey, very fast, very high quality. Um, and he brought it to the Irish and they said, get out of here. And uh, he brought it to the Scottish and they said, yeah, this is exceptional. Mm-hmm. So they started to be able to make quality product faster um, than the Irish, which also gave them a little bit of a foot up on top of those other things. Um, so Irish whiskey started to decline fast. There was hundreds of distilleries and then it went down to three. Mm-hmm. And it was really a great thing that Irish distillers got together and they kept all of the brands alive. Um, but, you know, really making the liquid out of three different distilleries, but, you know, mm. all the heritage brands were still here. They just uh, weren't very popular for a long time. And uh, then it just got a resurgence and it has been the fastest growing spirit category in the world for 10 years. Crazy. And they say that by 2030, you know, all the, um, like whiskey advocate and everything have uh, projected that Irish whiskey is going to overtake Scotch globally, Scotch sales. I think it should. So. I don't like Scotch. That's just me <laughs> personally. But yeah, I it's um it's interesting starting to see you know having peated Irish whiskeys. Yeah, um, the, the different the different casks that are being used for finishing. Um, it definitely makes it unique. It definitely changes. I think again, I go back to like the different bottles that are out there that you can buy. And there's a very, very good, like base level of Irish whiskey. 
Um, and, and I think your, your, your projection was perfect. Like you have your green spots. Um, I forgot what else you put up there. Red breast. Like the red breast. And, you know, and then that, like that middle ground, like that's a great mm -hmm. stepping stone. Um, mm -hmm. Because again, you get into like the red breast, you can get, you can go down a rabbit hole with some of those as well. Um, yeah. You know, tealings, like you can go down a rabbit hole with, with some of what they, what they have. Yeah. There has to be something in between. And I think this is yeah. a great step up from a standard, again, like we both love Tula Mordu, but this mm -hmm. is a step up from your standard Tula Mordu. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's ready to try something different. And to be honest, um, this really is different. Mm -hmm. uh, we get asked sometimes, what do you compare it to? Because it's a great way to, you know, teach sales reps and stuff how to sell it. What could you compare it to? And they like to have two things, you know, they say it's kind of like this or kind of like this. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have that. Like, yeah. I don't know what to compare it to. It's really different. It's really unique. Um, I think it's still distinctively Irish, which is very important. It's still Irish whiskey, but this global influence brings something new to the table. And uh, it's kind of exciting. It's contemporary. It's a modern take on Irish whiskey. And uh, I hope that everybody enjoys it and everybody gets to, to give it a go, especially, you know, around Paddy's Day. Mm -hmm. So to give you a bit of context of where it is, we, we actually launched now in... Um, California, New York, Texas, Illinois, and Florida. I'm excited about the Florida thing since I'm heading down there in a week. Yes, you're going to see it. There's bars near you that are going to have it actually. Tell me, okay, I'm curious. Tell me a little bit more about just like the process of making, because you mentioned like the, th the, three, um, the three styles that are in there, right? So you've got your yeah. pot still, malt, grain. Um, so is that something where you have the three of them obviously made separately, mm -hmm. those blended and then they head to the different casks or are they individually in other casks? What, what is that process like? So it's individually, they don't, we don't blend it until the okay. end of the whole process. Ah. So the reason being, if you blended it and let's say you put the, the blend into the tawny cask mm -hmm. um, and then you just leave it a little bit too long, you've ruined your, your liquid. So what we try to do or what we do, I'm um, sorry, is, we have the grain malt and pot still. It's all matured in bourbon casks. And then we separately put, it's mostly the malt actually, goes into each of the finishing casks. So it sits in them for different amounts of times. So it's all separately in there and waiting to be blended until each cask has given what it needs to to the liquid. So for instance, the Japanese Mizanara oak, that actually sits in, the malt sits in that barrel for 14 months. Oh, wow. But the tawny is more like three to four months because think about a port is such an influential, like you can already imagine the wood inf influencing the liquid so fast, whereas it takes it. a lot longer for the Japanese Mizanara oak. So the blender is constantly, you know, the distiller and the blender are constantly checking it and seeing like, is it ready? Is it ready? Is it ready? And then when it finally gets to kind of where the finish they want it to be, then they sat. So this is, the, I mean, this is all for the first batch, right? So we've got our first batch out in the world now and they had to sit down and decide what was lost Irish going to taste like. So they had lots of different iterations, you know, maybe they had 10% uh, of the sherry cask influence in the mix. And they had 5% of the South African brandy, but they had 15% of the Colombian rum finish portion in there. And then they would taste that and be like, can I taste everything? And mm -hmm. that, you know, that was the important thing. Can we taste everything? So they went through each kind of variety, tried different balances, different percentages, and then started to think, okay, do I like the nose? You know, how can we build, make the nose better? Well, I love what the South African brandy brings to the nose. Mm -hmm. However, if you add mm -hmm. more South African brandy, finish, you know what I mean? I, I'm saying South African brandy, meaning the whiskey that was in the South African yeah. brandy barrel. Um, if you add more of that, you have to reduce some of something else. So what are we going to take out to, you know, mm -hmm. if we add another percent, we've got to take 1% of something out. So it was very complex and I was lucky enough to actually taste each portion separately and um, as they were making the final final blend so I got to taste like okay what does the uh, Caribbean room finish bring and then like you know Tim would say what do you like about this and I would go I like the I like the way my tongue feels 
mm-hmm. you know and you'd go okay that's kind of what we want to pull from this one or or I'd be like I I love the finish of this one and so I got to taste each component and like it, they were wildly different I bet wildly different and then finally <laughs> you know and by the way some on their own incredible like you almost are like I want it to taste like this you know yeah. but um some are were great but you might want to sip on them all day and so then coming to the final blend was uh I mean I can't imagine what the process would have been like for Tim and Neil probably a nightmare um but I know that he told me the final final two he was in between one that had a little bit of it packed a bit of a punch you know mm-hmm. it was it still had all the flavor and everything but it had a little bit more of like a hit and he goes I knew like whiskey nerds would just like love this whiskey you know they would like sure. be able to pull it apart and the other his option too was was this one and he chose this one because he was like I want a whiskey that people want to have another one of you I know? just did yeah, I've seen you. <laughs> I, and, I just, and I just got a huge hit of pear, by the way. Oh, um, I love so it. Would it be, like, I'm, I'm curious how much it would change the blend if you were to change the, like, for example, you've got the, like, the malt. If you ate, if you finished that in, like, the Caribbean rum cask mm-hmm. versus a different one. You know what I mean? Like, if you switch, I, I just wonder how each of them would react um to to a finishing in like one of the different um barrels yeah I think that like I think that it's kind of now I don't want to speak out of turn but I'm I think that malt the malt whiskey is known to be the best one for finishing and Mm. I wish I had a good reason why because there is a good reason why um but that's why they chose the malt to go into almost all the finishing casks so the the pot still and the grain was in um bourbon right but the malt was in bourbon and then it was in all the other barrels so you can imagine there's a higher proportion of malt in this blend than grain and pot still um but yeah it's uh it's really interesting it's really complex sometimes it can get a bit like mind-boggling the the finishing process but i think they achieved what they wanted which was to be able to taste each barrel mm. or or experience each barrel yeah. when you when you sip on the whiskey you're least. certainly getting different components of the flavor like they're, it's very layered it's not you know it's not like again some where you take the sip and the second sip is exactly the same yeah it's really that's no fun um, yeah you get it's a very nice like very light nice sipping whiskey that you could have more than one of Yes. Um, and, and again, like continue to have uh, different, different flavors that you get out of it and not just kind of be pummeled by the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think it's, it's complex. It's interesting, but mm-hmm. it's still bright, approachable. Very you know, I, I kind of don't like we, we were talking before we got on this about mm-hmm. Tullamore Dew 12 and how much we both love it. Yeah. Um, but it's like Tullamore Dew 12 is kind of like my special occasion or like kind of like that moment like when you get all cozy in the house and you're like I kind of want like something to warm me up Mm -hmm. lost Irish like I don't think needs a special occasion like it works anytime you feel like you you fancy a little whiskey like it can be after dinner but it can also be you know a happy hour um Mm -hmm. you know I just think it's just it's just so friendly it's so light and bright and it's just different and I really enjoy drinking it which is good because that's a big part of my job but we've got incredible feedback so far and I I love getting feedback because remember for a year I didn't have anything to show for this brand yeah so um it's really exciting to hear what bartenders think what whiskey drinkers think um and and even people who don't drink whiskey think that's actually you know because I've had a lot of people they go well I'm not really a whiskey drinker and I go yeah okay no worries like beach try a little bit if you want and they go oh I like this way more than I thought I was going to so I think I think because we've done some blind tastings of different Irish whiskeys and the ones that are like heavily finished and like some of them are very hit or miss and and Mm -hmm. some people are going to like them some people aren't so I think you get like this offers a variety of flavors that you're going to pull out of it 
um, versus some that you're going to get like one flavor that just kind of hits you and it's there and it's like, mm -hmm. it never really changes. Yeah. Um, and so I think this offers like that variety that, I mean, people would really enjoy. And like you said, there's, you could have it if you're a brand new Irish whiskey drinker, or, you know, if you've had others, um, if you've tried some, like you said, the red breast or the uh, green spots or any of those, like, I think it's a great place for like any to fit in with any of those. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's, it's different, but it's, it's friendly. It's not a, it's not a cask strength, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I have some really cool different Irish whiskeys on my shelf um, that I'm really excited that I have, like I've got blue spot there, you know, I, I like love what I have to offer, but do I grab them all the time? Not really. Right. Can't. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. That's yes. <clears throat> We've been there where it's like, okay, I want yeah. something. I'm not going to grab a, I'm not going to grab blue spot because I feel like having a sip of whiskey like that doesn't yeah, make any exactly. sense what, it's what is more the... like hey you guys want to have a blue spot because yeah. we're watching the super bowl or like you know what i mean exactly yeah what, what, what is this retail for so it's recommended retail is about 40 dollars. okay so it can kind of you might see it for a dollar more a dollar less like okay. that's kind of what we're recommending and we're seeing different prices in different states but sure right around that number. Now, I, I understand that it's just getting going, but um, is there and if you can't, that's fine. But uh, what is the what's the future look like? What is next? What happens from here? Obviously, it's a it's been a long process of getting it out and getting on the shelves and getting it to people um, after promoting it as hard as you guys did, uh, despite some of the challenges you were faced with. So what's like, what's next for Lost Irish? So we get asked this a lot. Um, mm -hmm. There is obviously a lot of potential when you look mm -hmm. at the brand of the different things that you could do. However, it is our number one priority to have people fall in love with this lost Irish, right? We want them to know what to expect when they order a lost Irish and um, to be excited about the flavors, to get it, it to as many uh people as possible and have them tasting it around the world and um, before we release anything different mm -hmm. you know we learned a lot um in in working in irish whiskey that like it is so fun to be playful and customers get really really excited about different skews um and different options especially if they have a brand that they love and they want to see the the 12 year old or the cask strength or whatever but and um, the number one thing for a brand to be successful is to have its flagship, its mm -hmm. original, be known everywhere and loved. And um, so that is our number one priority. Now, we do have ideas for small releases that we could do in the future, like in the in a few years future mm -hmm. um, of maybe maybe small releases of like specialty finishes because think of what we have to play with right we have yeah. the world right yeah. so Literally. like you, you could choose a part of the world and focus on the barrels of that part of the world mm -hmm. and um showcase a country or showcase a continent with with lost irish and um, so i think like i don't want to like you know we don't have um names made or finishes planned but i think we are all aware that there is a lot of avenues that we could take Definitely. that could be really fun oh yeah after recording um but yeah i can <laughs> i can definitely see that because that's the the potential is certainly there but i agree like i feel like there's nothing wrong with focusing on expansion in terms of getting it to new states. Cause I know it's, I'm sure it's a hassle to get into new states. There's different regulations everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, but getting it out to people, like have people try this because I, I'm sure there have been plenty of people or brands who have gotten themselves going and then kind of can get ahead of themselves going, okay, what's next. Yeah. Um, and I can see and where I, that's like, it's a good I idea to get out there. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, as a bartender, you know, what I've seen is like, I want to make sure that I have this brand on the shelf. So if I introduced it to my customer and they come back in three months and ask me for it again, like mm -hmm. that brand is still on the shelf or it's not now, you know, got like 
there's the single grain and there's the blend and there's the sherry finish and it just kind of all gets a little bit overwhelming you know we're talking about consumers kind of needing to educate themselves learn a little bit more about Irish whiskey and start by dabbling you know, mm-hmm. trying something different, maybe being introduced to it by a friend, a bartender, or going to the liquor store and buying something different. So like, we don't want to overwhelm them. We want Lost Irish to be able to stand on its own and be like, this is our whiskey, you know, and, and we are really proud of it. And we want to introduce it to different states. We're launching it in Ireland in April. Okay. And so it's going to be introduced in multiple countries then in your across Europe this year. And different states will probably open up later in the year. We just opened Florida last week. So there's a lot to do with this one skew rather yeah. than me, you know, coming at them with loads of different ones. So sure. I think uh, it's all about Lost Irish. Take one. I think it's awesome. And I think what's cool too is, again, like if people haven't had it and like they look at the bottle and they see Irish right on top of it, like right in the front, like they're going to be more likely to want to give that a try i mean again i'm not saying it's a uh, intentional thing but if i'm sitting in a bar and i want irish whiskey and i see like the word irish like i'm not yeah. looking around because there's some that if you're sitting across the bar like you might not know it's an irish whiskey um, and probably less likely to try it out like i feel like there's a good reason that people would want to at least ask about it and have a bartender say yeah this is a new one we got like try it out and i think it's pretty uh it's pretty good a good way to get people to try it out yeah i think the name signal signifies so much about our culture and stuff and about the story of the liquid but i also think when you see that name on the bottle and the way that they have made that bottle with the embossing and the way that lost irish stands out when you see that on a shelf in a bar you really see it and like obviously it's the first thing i'm looking for when i go into a bar but I think it stands out. I think there's going to be customers who, you know, there's there's a lot of Irish whiskeys that are difficult to say, you know, for American consumers. The name can be a little bit intimidating or the label is kind of busy or hard to see in a dark bar. Um, I think I'm really, really proud of how they ended up with the bottle because I think it's very visible. It's very easy to say. It's eye-catching. And it kind of tells you what it is in two words, Yeah, you know? Definitely. I totally agree. You don't want to be looking across the bar and try to figure out what something is and go, oh, let me try that <laughs> obscure one that I can't even recognize. Like this very straightforward. And um, <clears throat> it's a beautiful bottle. The shape is awesome. Like I love how it lost Irish, like in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks really cool. I think people are going to dig it. Thank you. Yeah. We're so excited. And like, as we lead into Paddy's day now, you know, it's like, this is the time of year that people are most interested in Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. So we're getting a lot more, interest and people willing to talk about Irish whiskey tis the season you know yeah I think that's great I'm I'll definitely make sure that week I get some pictures posted since now I know it's uh, available in Florida so it works out perfect oh yes yeah definitely I'm gonna text you where where near where you're staying definitely has it and I think over the six weeks of you being in Florida you're probably going to see it pop up more because it just launched last week so we're very very excited about it that's so great. Um, is there any, did I forget anything? Is there anything else I need to make sure gets covered? Cause I got to make sure it's, uh, you know, everyone gets the information that's needed about the I brand. Think, I think, uh, <laughs> we covered an absolute ton. Um, and if there's anything we forgot, it only gives us an opportunity to jump back on another time. Exactly. Drink more, uh, <laughs> more lost Irish. Um, right? where, what's a good place where can people find you guys like social media, find yourself, anything like that? Yes, please. So Lost Irish Whiskey at Lost Irish Whiskey on Instagram. Please give us a follow. We are really announcing everything got to do with the brand there on Instagram. Um, like if it's going to be coming in your state, if you want to find out where to buy it nearby, everything kind of goes through Lost Irish Whiskey. We also have a website, lost, lostirish.com. Um, but if you stay tuned to the social media, it's much more exciting. Um, and if you want to follow me on social media, especially if you are in California, I am up and down the state um, selling Lost Irish. If there's any bar owners or anybody who's interested in trying it, um, my Instagram is at lost with Donna. Um, so don't hesitate to follow me and hit me up if you're interested in lost Irish, 
but yeah, I, I appreciate the interest. I appreciate Definitely. everybody checking it out. And I'm so happy to have come on with you today. And I'm even more delighted that you like it. Definitely. I appreciate it. I'm so excited. I got to finally try it. Um, yeah, I was definitely looking forward to this. I was, I was, uh, the, the knock at my door when it was delivered was definitely a, a happy Yay. day, um, but sitting there <laughs> waiting for it was not. So right. I decided to finally try it out. <clears throat> so, awesome. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Thank you. You too. Thank Enjoy you very much. it. Enjoy some Irish whiskey for me and I'll have some for you. Perfect. Even better. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Donna. Cheers.